Okay. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today with the Film Roundtable. My name is Matthew Wolf, and I'm thrilled to introduce Faden Papamichael. Hey. Jeff Cronenworth. Hello. And Eric Messerschmidt. Eric Messerschmidt. Hello. And yeah, they're all joining us for today's roundtable. Before we get into the meet of the roundtable and we get started on the conversation, I just want to lead us through a moment of silence to honor all the 1,610,468 reported worldwide COVID deaths as of today. And uh, that's 296,000 in, in the US alone. We'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters who, whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. So if we can all take um, a moment of silence, that'd be great. Okay, thank you everyone. Uh, we've been holding these moments of silence since our first round table and feel that it's important to hold this awareness as we find ourselves back on set and back at work. And obviously we're still in the midst of a pandemic, even as we, you know, we might see a, a way out with vaccines finally, uh, but as we return to work and we must do so with an awareness of safety and empathy towards each other. So uh, now I'd like to introduce our guests. As I've said, you know, we have Faden uh, Papamichael, Pap Jeff Cronenworth, and Eric Messerschmidt. You guys all in LA, is that right? Yeah. Three, two of us are. I am. I'm in, uh, I'm in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Savannah, Georgia. Okay, there's, I'm sure there's a story there you can share with us. Uh, <laughs> yes. Looks like a hotel room. So. Uh, yeah. I'm in, a, I'm in like a classic Southern American home. I'm renting a house here. I'm on a movie. I'm prepping a movie here. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, I want to welcome you all to the Film Roundtable. And thank you. know, it's not been easy to schedule this. And thank you all for taking the time to share some of your experiences with us. Um, I wanted to lead off with a question that, you know, that brought, brought you all together, even though you may not know what that question is. Um, as I feel like as cinematographers, I'm a cinematographer. I feel like our love for the art and science of cinematography drives us all to make great and memorable cinema. And as a, more importantly, like we appreciate uh, other people's great memorable visual cinematography. Whereas sometimes some creatives might like to keep their skills and their experience themselves. I think us as cinematographers, one of the things that I love about cinematographers is that I feel like we're, we're in a boys club and that we, we're great at sharing with each other. You know, oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll find ourselves, I'll find myself looking at something, watching a shot and uh, wondering how something was done and um, wanting to pick up the phone to, to the DP of that movie. And I, I want to share a quick story before I lead into the question uh, as to, you know, really a classic, amazing example of how this happened to me. You know, very early, very early on in my career. I'd just come out of film school in London and I was shooting a music video, it was uh, 16 mil. 
And the director said to me, I want, there's a driving scene or on a low loader, he goes, I want the movie, I want this scene to look like heat, you know, where they're coming out of the tunnel in, you know, in, in Los Angeles. I was like, no problem, no problem. I thought, how the hell am I gonna do that? So I, I tracked down Dante Spinotti's agent in LA and I, and I call up and I say, hi, my name's Matthew Wolf. I'm a recent film school graduate and I'm trying to emulate heat. And I want to ask Dante Spinotti some questions. And they're like, sure, man, you know, like, give us your number. We'll, we'll get back to you. Thinking that was the end of it. And about two weeks later, the phone rings one afternoon and I, this voice on the other end of the phone says, hi, can I speak to Matthew Wolf? And I said, sure, who is it? And he said, it's Dante Spinotti. And uh, I was dumbfounded. I actually didn't know what to what to say i was like for a moment i i was just I was like you know lost for words so i was like hi hi nice to meet you and he goes so i understand that you uh wanted to ask me some questions it turned out he was in canada on a down day shooting wonder boys and uh he was in his hotel room he said yeah he said shoot away ask me anything you like we spoke for about 20 minutes or so and i was just we were shooting the shit and i was asking him some questions and he answered everything and it was it was incredible. It was a real pivotal moment for me and, and just, you know, was a first example of how giving that we are as cinematographers. And you guys, I mean, with so much experience that you all have, and, you know, I know some of you have worked together before, but I just wanted to hear your each of your own experiences to see, you know, whether that happened for you, uh, whether you guys have called on each other or something along those lines. So let's start with you, Faden, if that's cool. Um, sure. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of friends that we actually, I mean, I know we, of course, never are on the same set, but uh, I've worked with, uh, you know, in various capacities with a lot of my DB friends. Um, actually, Messerschmitt, we've worked before together, and uh, Janusz, uh, at some point, gaffed for me and Mauro Fiore. So we're all very close friends. We have a long relationship. So we're, you know, we're... Uh, very intertwined and constantly exchanging information and uh, giving uh, advice about crew. We all travel a lot. Like I'm about to go to London and do a show, you know, so I call, I call the people, ask, uh, you know, about crew members, recommendations, uh, everything, you know. I mean, it's, it's not just technical and it's, it's, you know, life advice, how to balance this whole crazy lifestyle we're in and you know we're constantly talking about this travel families divorces kids uh, schools <laughs> covid um you know so it's, it's definitely a, a brotherhood and you know if you feel very close to um uh, a lot of these connections to 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 all cinematographers and all all crew members um and um you know and in terms of inspiration i mean everything I do and I have done this obviously inspired by some cinematographer at some point in my life. It's all an accumulation of images I took in as a child and from, you know, from the Westerns, the John Ford Westerns when I was a kid and watching them Saturday night in Germany on television and, uh, you know, Storaro and Bertolucci and 1900 Conformist, uh, Robbie Miller, Vin Benders. I mean, every, everything is... Uh, is, uh, you know, everything I do is somehow in some drawer in my head and, you know, probably surfaces, you know, whenever I'm presented with some, some issue or some, something I'm doing or some, some inspiration always comes from the accumulation of everything we've experienced. And 
loved about um, you know uh, cinematography and what, why why it's affected us so much and what led us to 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 pursue this profession. So. Cool. Somebody has a lot of family activity. I, in I think it's Jeff. I think it's Jeff because it keeps going back to your image. So there's a lot. I don't, of know. I don't hear it. The only reason I think it's you, Jeff, is because while Faden was talking, the like the lead image kept going. Mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let me take care of that. <laughs> Good. A little birthday party going on. This is the kind of this is the kind of thing we have to be prepared for on set. Those last minute unexpected surprises. Yeah, it's always the sound sound department. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Shut up, baby. Yeah, I know. <laughs> basically, <Quiet>. basically. <laughs> uh, I was going to add to what Faden Faden said is it's a craftsman ladder that we climb. Uh, you know, uh, internship, if you will. And we all work in a different capacities. I mean, some people take different routes to become a cinematographer. Obviously, there's no formula. But a lot of us make friendships on the way up and, and become crew members together and, and uh, work for each other. And like Faden said, you know, Eric and I have worked together uh, as well. And so that becomes a support network where we can share and, and, uh, and talk about new technologies or things that we saw or how did something get accomplished or what would you do in this situation? But it's a funny situation because once you become a cinematographer, you're very, very rarely on somebody else's set. And so then you're kind of on an island on your own deciphering this. You, you hear things from your crew members that have worked on other sets and you get curious that way. And you may, you know, depending on the, the, the relationships and friendships, sure. But it's, a, it's an odd thing why it's not more accessible. I think we all just get self-conscious when someone else is there that does the same thing that we do. But it's this kind of underlying kind of rule that, that, that uh, you just don't do it very often. And so it's funny, but, but, but within that statement, um, I don't know anybody that wouldn't want to share now. And uh, I'm, I've always been super open to uh, anything. And I, and I don't think, um, I don't think it's that hard. I think it's just what, what we personally bring to things that, that make us individuals and, and, and our cinematography. It's the technicality of it is, is pretty straightforward, you know, but um, as a camera assistant, uh, when I first started out, I would work where, and, and I always found this with people that weren't uh, confident in themselves. They had tricks and they had filter cases and they had filters that had no labels on them, but they might be names of somebody. And that was there. <laughs> and as a camera assistant, you would like take out the Barney filter and have no idea what it is. Although you could go to the rental house and like cut them up and go, oh, that's a little <laughs> or something if you wanted to figure it out. But um, I, I don't know anybody that's actually been successful uh, that kept secrets. And all through my career as an assistant and an operator, uh, you know, I worked with my father and I worked with Conrad Hall and I worked with all these people and, and all of them were enormously generous, all invested into the, into the craft and would, would go out of the way to contribute to anybody's, uh, anybody's uh, jobs or, or, or tasks that they're trying to, you know, and, and also listen to anybody because um, you might miss something on the set. And, and, and uh, if you're not open-minded to, to other people's input, you're going to, you're going to miss out on some unique opportunities that come up and surprises that may have slipped by when you're kind of overwhelmed with everything else that you're managing on a set. It, I was just, it was funny. You know, it's funny you bring it up. Cause I was just talking to Derek Wolski about this. We were like talking about the 
like the dangers of uh, or the, the necessity to be aware of your own tricks, like when your crutches, like the things you lean on when you when you don't know how to solve a problem, being like, oh, well, I'll just do that again because that worked last time and and being aware of it enough to not not always do that. So you force yourself to make a different choice and explore something else or ask somebody a question. And like, I think that's so true. And I do think cinematographers are super generous about how they approach stuff and um because nobody asks except for dps maybe but like but like you know how did you do that or what did you do here or how did you expose it or whatever you know i like people are always i think dps are, are super generous with that for sure it's like it's a it's a special thing it's kind of one of the joys of this job i think for sure for sure i mean it's like i, I mean you, you jeff you mentioned something before about talking to your crew and listening to your crew i mean i feel like that there's I don't know about you guys, um, but I think there's 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 a time when you're when you're you know you start off in your career and you and you're used to sh shooting a certain size of projects and then the the more accomplished you get the better the bigger opportunities you get and then the bigger sets you're on and, and often times you you'll come across something that you're not perhaps you're not sure about and you're not you know you're not uh, you've not done before and um, and while those challenges are exciting you know I feel like it's important to surround yourself with good crew uh, uh, to can kind of support you as well as, you know, obviously doing your own research. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's a time in your careers uh, where you've kind of come across something that you, you know, you didn't know how to deal, deal with and, and how you solved that problem. Eric, maybe start with you. Yeah. I mean, every day, uh, I mean, all the time I, I mean, I always feel like I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I feel like I have a plan generally, but I, uh, I guess, I, I mean, I can, I think maybe I'm always like suspicious of when I'm confident, like that, that if I'm confident, then maybe that's the wrong choice. Like that's, I'm taking the easy way out, you know, it's like, oh, I'll do that. Like, uh, that's what that's like, if it's the, if it's the, if it's the easy thing, then it's probably mediocre. So like, maybe I, sh I should be suspicious of that a little bit, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, all the time, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, I can think of countless situations for sure. Of like, oh, I don't know what to do here. Or then definitely like in prep, I mean, there are lots of times where you, you're trying to figure something out and you call somebody. I mean, I've called Jeff a hundred times, like, hey, what do you think I should do here, you know? Um, so it's like, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's super common, I, I, at least for me. Well, that's a classic example right there. I mean, you know, you, you from what I was talking about before, you know, you, you're, you're stuck with what to do and you, you know, you can call on Jeff uh, or somebody else. I'm like, and what would you do? You know, it's like, yeah. what would you do in this situation? And, you know, I don't know, you know, Faden, you know, now you're directing more, uh, you know, if there's something you're not sure about in terms of directing, would you call up another director? I mean, I don't know what it's like. Uh, to say, you know, how would you how would you approach this scene? I, I don't know whether that same camaraderie is there for directors as it is for cinematographers. Uh, actually, I, I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just know that for some reason they are very competitive, and possessive amongst each other. Like Alexander Payne told me, I feel like we're married and you get to go cheat all the time, and uh, it's it's funny because you know it's true. I mean, we get to you know, work uh, with, which is great. I mean, you know, some of us 
get to work with a, a wide variety of directors. And I, I definitely uh, enjoy that. I mean, you know, I love my, my, my repeat relationships. I mean, I've done five movies with Mangold and five movies without a campaign. And, you know, that's, that's always nice and to go back and, you know, we, we've, we've grown together. Same with my crew. I mean, uh, with Rafi, my gaffer, I've done probably 30 features and, you know, it's just always nice to have that comfort level. And, 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 you know, and then he goes and works with Walski and then, and Ray Garcia goes, works with Chivo and then they kind of work with Deacons and then, they come back and it's like, what would Roger, you know, in a situation like, what would Roger do here? You know, if I'm stuck with something, what would, what would, what, what would Walski do? And uh, so that's nice. But the, the, the directors, yeah, I mean, um, uh, you know, I, uh, as I'm directing and, you know, often I kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm doing a lot of their work and I'm doing a lot of this thing. And, uh, and, but I do, I do, uh, start to very very strongly sympathize with uh, directors <laughs> uh, when I when I see them you know whereas w w when it actually happened I was probably like hmm, I don't know you know like, uh, but you know I do recall uh, the directors I work with and and I'm very much influenced by I mean I don't call them but I mean I recall certain instances where they were presented with a similar thing or I think of a way they would have solved the problem a certain way and then you know I definitely apply that you know like with Alexander I mean I always go you know he always goes well you know let's just tell the story of a car pulling up in front of the house so we'll just put the camera on sticks here and pan the car in and you know while I'm doing it and I'm the cinematographer I go up I mean there certainly is probably a more exciting way to do this but then I found myself directing and I was in a similar and I'm like told my DP like let's just pan the car in I mean this, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's like that's all this shot needs to tell and you know so I definitely am influenced and and learn from uh you know uh things when you know when I'm directing because you are suddenly really responsible for it and you go this is this is really all it needs I don't need to also lay track and meet the car because it doesn't really add anything so and those those are influences and inspirations I've had from the, the you know the, the the collaborations with the directors I admire of course so um but I could call them I guess you know but yeah but that's, that's funny directors are a bit different I think because <laughs> you know they are tours and they write and they you know they uh, yeah so but I mean um and you know I think they, they yeah they like us to um you know stay DPs because they like working with us <laughs> exactly once a marriage is made, nobody wants to. Well, it's just like us. We like our great first AC, of course, yeah. uh, and our gaffer. But you know, I've had I've had had gaffer shoot for me, and I mean, whenever I I, I have to hire DP, I, I typically resource to my my crew members. You know, whether it's you know an operator or I mean somebody you know it's a filmmaker, and I want all my crew members to be filmmakers. You know, in terms of uh, you know. I mean, people ask me, what do you prefer, directing or shooting? I go, I, I don't really think of myself. Like, I, you know, I grew up loving movies. I want to make movies. I ended up, you know, somehow my career took me, you know, where I, I got hired more as a cinematographer. But, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, a storyteller. I want to tell movies. Uh, you know, sometimes it's more focused on the camera work and writing. Other times it includes, you know, writing and working with actors more. But we're all collaborating and telling a, a a story and then contributing you know what we love about it uh in whatever way we can and i want every crew member 
to feel the same way. I mean, I want every grip to have read the script. I want them, you know, to like the script. <laughs> you know, I don't want them to work on a movie they don't like, uh, whether it's the prop guy, etc. So, you know, I mean, because, and then, and I ask people all the time, I ask my camera PAs, you know, what do you think of this composition or should I, you know, I, I have them all the time at the monitor. I always say, come stand, you know, don't stand over there. Why are you facing the tent wall? Well, you know, I don't want to get a move. No, stay, look at the monitor. I mean, I, and I, you know, and I can always say, you know, I don't, you know, that's not a good idea, but like I welcome, definitely welcome everybody to, and I'll ask everybody because it's, it's, it's so subjective and everybody has a different point of view. And uh, I think it's really refreshing and helps me sometimes confirm something that I thought or, you know, and, and it's, or reassure me that, you know, it's, it's great. And especially, you know, with gaffers and, key grips and dolly grips and i really value everybody's opinion you know that's uh, that brings up a good point you know one of the things that we talk about a lot in film roundtable is is the you know how important the collaborative experience is you know in filmmaking and how it's really is a team effort from so in so many different levels you know from like you said from the pa all the way up to the director the producer you know if, if you don't have a good team then you don't have a good result i don't think and you know, that can be on every level. And it's, you know, it's, it's great to hear, you know, you kind of exemplify that in what you've just said. Um, uh, Jeff, I'm interested to kind of, you know, hear from you in terms of, uh, well, I mean, partly, you know, going back to my previous question about mm. how you've dealt with things in your career where you've, you know, perhaps you, you know, you've been stuck or stumped. Uh, I mean, obviously you had, a, you know, that bringing, being around, growing up around, filmmaking and cinematography from a very young age so maybe maybe it was instilled in you but um but uh yeah hardly <laughs> no it's funny uh of course i was very fortunate to to uh work alongside my father who you know in in, in many people's opinions is, is is one of the greats and certainly in mine and um the thing that happens to me more often than not is when i find myself in a corner and don't have a solution. I think back about what he would have done, or what what we hit, what we did during certain setups, and it it's always comes back to. I was a young young camera assistant, and I spent more time chasing people on the set, girls. And I go, I wish I had just watched a little more. <laughs> that doesn't matter now. And what did he do? How did he get through that doorway? How did the door open and not be so bright? Or how did those silver elevator doors close and I can't see every source in the room? And uh, uh, it comes back, but uh, certainly <laughs> I have some regret about that, you know. But, but you said an interesting thing earlier, though, uh, uh, about going through Faden did about going through everybody on on a set and and eliciting ideas and, and looking at the integrity and something that happens and why we all stay close is because you try to surround yourself with the most talented uh and invested people with the most integrity and when you do get that team together it's not that long if truly you're utilizing them and, and if they are that make them any contributions then they're going to be on their own soon enough and that's what happens and that's why we all stay friends and that's why it's this really collaborative community because we we do go to war on every one of these pictures and we do get beat up and and come out the other side and 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 then it, it, it's a beautiful thing when when you get to go watch somebody else uh do it uh, do it better you know uh, in some cases and um 
Um, I was going to say one thing about um, directors. This is oddly unique, maybe not completely unique, but oddly unique to Fincher, who, who Eric and I work with. Every movie I've shot, the directors tell me about way, way before they lock the cut that they sit with Fincher and show him the movie. So I'll say this, that he's just a guy that is, loves the craft so much, that is completely um, admired by a lot of filmmakers. And uh, filmmakers and, um, and loves, loves the industry and loves films and, and, and loves helping people. He's very generous that way. So you, you and, and then when you talk to David, you hear about, you know, countless stories of, 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 of going to bat for other directors, uh, fighting studios over this or studios asking how this should resolve or how to fix it. And so he, he's a he's a, a very involved and, and uh, a sought after guy. And so that's the only like I've never seen it with any other director. Like I've never seen people approached that way and what. And then lastly, um, I've never directed anything long form like Faden, but I have directed about 400 commercials and another couple hundred music videos. And the thing that it does, I mean, initially when I started doing it, I did have a few people that were uh, caught off guard or intimidated by the fact that you also can or called yourself a director. But most of the time, it, it, and honestly, for me, it just made me a better cinematographer. It just made me understand both sides of it a lot more. And in some ways, you know, we can be selfishly tedious at the expense of, of, of a performance or something. And so uh, it helps me weigh out those choices better. And I, I feel like I'm a much better partner and collaborator, which, is, sure. which, is, which is the reason it's my favorite part of this. And, and we've all done, we've all worked with different types of directors. I've worked with directors where they purely want to work with the actor. They, the blocking is all left to you. How, the, how ultimately it's going to be cut together is all on your shoulders. I've worked, which is liberating and, and super fun to have every of the, all those choices. And then we, I've worked with people, and, and Eric can attest to this, that Fincher's pretty regimented. He, he has a really good idea. You really have to have something better uh, and a way to, a full idea and all the coverage if you're going to not go with the plan that, that uh, you all agreed to before. So to me, it's the collaboration that's the most fun. And it's the people that you actually do interact with and come up with these and, and, and solve those problems, you know, in a way I'm circling back uh, together because sometimes you can get boxed in by simply uh, uh, an actor wanting to do something and, and all it takes is a director to go, look, why don't we just do this here? Or what if we do this over here? And then that frees up the rest of the coverage. It frees up your approach to how you're going to light it. There's so many ways of, of solving problems, especially if you're in a, in a, in a group and you're all fighting for the same thing. And, and, and it's not, not anybody's egos rising above like the general benefit of, of, of that scene. I have a, I have a kind of a, like a, like a tongue in cheek joke that I tell the crew and, and actually the directors that I've been working with, like that I say, look, the, the set has to be a safe space, you know, like it has to be a safe space for ideas. Like we have to, like, we like, let's, let's get rid of ego and let's try and promote an environment where we can we can try and improve the shot, you know, and you encourage people to do that. And if you encourage them to do that, not from like, 
their place of like, I want it to be my idea, but let me look at it objectively. Like, how can I improve the shot? And if you, I, th I really feel like if you're open to it, like if you're, you know, if you're in our position, you're a cinematographer or a director, sometimes time is not on, time is never on your side, you know? So you like have to make those decisions and it's very clear, like, this is my decision to make, but it doesn't mean that you can't create an environment where people can say, I, I think I can improve this and I see what you're struggling with, or what if we did that and, and at least take a moment to listen, you know? And I, I, I've, there've been so many situations for me where you, you listen to that and you're like, man, that's a really good idea. Okay. Yeah. We can look at it that way, you know? And it's like, where you're trying to, even if you're trying to solve some sort of silly, you know, practical problem, like how do I hang that light there? And you have an idea about how to do it. And, you know, someone comes to another, you know, and they look at it from a different perspective and they solve the problem. It's an amazing thing about the film set, you know? Um, and it's kind of what keeps me going back because the movie set's a pretty frustrating place to be otherwise, you know? No, but it's so true. I mean, and that's why it's really important that the, every crew member feels like that part of this group and part of his you know machine and that's why and it comes from the director of course i mean it can come from us also but it's nice if it comes all the way from the top and like alexander payne knows every driver's name on day one and every van he gets into every grips he knows they have a kid in college like it's just and i go how do you do that and that's just you know pay a little attention and he has amazing memory and but it makes everybody on the set feel so much part of the family and you know, we have movie nights and pre-production where every Thursday, you know, we invite all the PAs, PAs over and we cook a pasta and make a pizza and we just watch a movie or they get to sh show one of their shorts that they did in film school and, you know, we all talk about it. And then, and then when the cool. film starts, it's so great. And and like you said, I mean, it, the little help can come from anyone. I mean, this film I was just doing in Greece and I was struggling sometimes with, you know, like you said, like the the silliest thing like the tape that was holding up this light bulb kept and you know and 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 then at some point the boom guy who was a, a veteran i mean he's been around he was very quiet so this is like a weekend he goes do you mind if i um say something and he goes of course and he goes well why don't you do this and this and that and I go, that's brilliant. Like, and then I, I realized this is a guy who's always thinking and now he kind of felt and uh, and I encouraged him to, you know, please. I mean, because he, he's been around, he's done, you know, he's boomed like for 30 years. Uh, it doesn't matter what films, but like, I mean, he's just, and and then, you know, it was just great how much feedback you got and, and everybody felt like, oh, you know, we don't have to be quiet and we, you know, let him think and, you know, he saw me struggling or something, but like, well, you know, was, you know, and it's like, perfect, like, yeah, let's do that, you know, and it's the boom guy, it's not, I mean, so it's, it's, it's great to have that, that involvement and everybody feel like we're all contributing, we're all of the equal importance, like, I can't do my job if, uh, you know, I'm out of water or if, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know, so every, every element is of equal importance, you know, I mean, as sure as, you know, the key creative, I mean, there's an editor, the, the, the production designer, the director, but, you know, we don't function on, you know, we can't function, we can't perform what we do without the support of our people. So it's, it's equally important to every contribution that's made. Can you guys hear him? No. No, you're muted, Matt. Oh, I'm muted because my because my four year old was screaming, crying so loudly outside the door. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to save you guys from that. Um, uh, 
you know, like I always try and I always try to create on, on my set this the similar kind of environment where I encourage people to come up with ideas. And if there's a good idea from someone like you know a, a grip or electrician or whoever, you know, and it's and it's a good idea, I'll, I'll present it. And if if the director likes it, I'll say, well, that was his or her idea. You know, like I want to give credit where credit's due. I don't want to take the credit for somebody else's idea. And then if it's a bad idea. You know, if I come up with an idea, it's a bad idea. I'll say it was their idea too. But, um, <laughs> basically, I always try and have a sense of humor on set. But uh, no, I think it's for sure. I mean, you know, like you, like you've all said, if you know, if we can create an environment where people are invested, it's better for better for everyone, and you know, better for the project as a whole. Um, you know, I'd love to talk about. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say real quick. You know that when I started in the business that they used to say, you know, if you're having a good time on set, it usually ends up being a bad movie or, you know, I don't know. They were, I don't Jeff, you remember, I don't know. There were all these people mm -hmm. like, I am middle of these. And, and I, I, I must just say, I've, I mean, I had great time and the movie turned out great. I had terrible time. The movie turned out great. I had yeah. bad time. The movie turned out bad. I mean, you know, there's that definitely is not, not true about anything. They also used to say like, if you laugh on set, in a comedy then it's not going to be funny in the movie and all these things you know but um it's not true i think if you have a good time and like you said eric you create a, a safe space you know where people feel you know they want to come to work and you know the mood changes on the set so quickly like you go from you know joking around talking talking about you know sports and then suddenly you know it, it shifts really quick so as long as people you know are aware that now you know it's like suddenly okay we've we got 20 minutes to do this and then uh you know and then they can adjust to that and of course as you know it's creative tension and creative energy and um uh, uh i mean people say are you stressed and stuff i'm like no, yeah i mean not really i mean it's creative stress to me it's very different you know like <laughs> it's like uh i mean i like sort of maintaining a certain energy and a, a certain pace and you know i, I feel like you know Actors work better that way. I mean, I hate when things sort of stall out and stuff. So, you know, but I mean, as long as people know this is, this is, he's like this because of that right now. And then, uh, you know, it doesn't mean, um, you know, that, um, you know, we're not, we're, we're not doing something uh, great, you know, anyway, but, uh, you know, what I'm saying. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's all about creating the, I think, having the right atmosphere for sure. On, on set and being like it's like filmmaking is such a, such a family experience if it's if it's the right experience I think and you know I, I think we've all been on sets that we we don't want to be on uh, but hopefully they're not the sets that we're you know we're you know we're DPs on I guess um, I, I'd love to I'd love to talk about some individual projects that you guys have shot um, you know uh, in your careers and. Uh, but before I get there, I just want to ask, I'm interested, um, I'm sure you guys have spoken about it, but, um, you know, what it's like being back on set during COVID uh, times, you know, obviously, Faden, I know you've been shooting in Europe, I don't know, you know, I don't know what, how different it is to shooting in the, in the States, I don't know, Eric and Jeff, if you've been traveling outside of the States for, for your projects. I was chatting um, with a friend, uh, which I think, uh, yeah, Willems, one of you worked on, on Hard Candy. Who's that? Was that you, Eric, or Jeff? I did, I did, yeah. I did, yeah. You, you worked on Hard Candy. Is that, uh, yeah. yeah, and I went to film school together. He was the year above me and um, in London. But um, 
you know, it's like being back on being back on set. Now, as as great as it is to be back working again, there's an element of uh, some some of the fun's been taken away because we've you know you know we're so strict and being be so conscious about being safe and uh, uh, and you know, having certain things restricted and certain things slower. And I think it's tougher on some of the crew because you know especially some of the the, the crew like the grips and the electricians who are kind of lifting stuff and wearing masks. And uh, there's there's definitely a, a sense of at least in the commercial world for me things have expectations haven't changed that much but in terms of what people ex are expecting but the job is harder for people i'm just interested to know you know what all your experiences have been you know since you've been back Je uh, jeff let's start with you well I, i've been fortunate and i've stayed fairly busy and i've had a chance to work uh in california but also in other states and here in america and then abroad as well and I didn't find it really that different. You know, everyone's taking the same protocols, uh, temperatures and masks and distancing and, and all the things that, that we're doing here. Uh, it does slow things down. Um, it's, it, it seems to be a lot less imperson uh, impersonal because you can't read people's faces. You can't see expressions, good or bad. You don't see the joy in something that was so remarkably accomplished or something that didn't work and, it, and it's really hard to tell and so that kind of it, it takes away from the, the the interaction and then and then just the social part of being on a set because it is a community and you are together for a, a long time every day and and, and and usually in hard situations you know whether it's nighttime or cold or overly hot or any of those situations and uh, it's all gone now, you know, it, that part of it. So it does take out some of the, some of the fun, if you will, or joy. Um, uh, and, and it just adds a few hours. But otherwise, I still think um, you're there to do the same things. And um, my experiences with agencies, yeah, they, they stack the deck as they always can. But they're also more aware of what that is. And <clears throat> I uniquely or not probably unique at all. I've had several unique for me where I've I've been the, on set shooting and the director somewhere else and the agency somewhere else. And uh, I ended up shooting a, a spot for James Gray. And we had one day in Los Angeles with Leonardo DiCaprio that he showed up for. And then I was in Lisbon for six days on my own uh, to finish the spot. And I, I actually going into the job, I didn't know that was happening. <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, okay, that's okay. Sure. I want to go to Lisbon. Why not? And uh, I found like, I've had a couple where it's opposite where a director has been in Europe and he's, in a, and he's directed here on set and it was easier for him to stay awake. But I felt so bad for James because right in the, you know, it's hard enough to stay awake doing night shoots. Imagine being on your couch, looking at a computer with a bad connection, uh, sitting at four in the morning, trying to be a, a while we're taking an hour to set up something, it, there's no way. And so, that didn't work as well as other situations have worked, but uh, all in all, it was all done and the spots came out great. So, you know. Awesome. What about you, what about you Eric? Well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm prepping a movie right now and we're, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty complex film. It's, it has aerial unit and a second unit and visual effects and it's quite complex um, in, in terms of execution and I, we, our, our production office is a is a decommissioned elementary school so that each one of us can have a, 
uh, a classroom as an office. And, and so we can have these socially distanced meetings and you can sort of, but it's very strange for me because I'm used to, I love the, I love the prep process more than I like adore prep. I would rather, I would love to just prep actually. <laughs> I love it. I, cause it's like the process of dreaming. It's like, you go to the set and that's where every, like, that's where everything is crushed, you know, uh, where all your ideas are destroyed. Um, I'm kidding, but I, the, I, uh, I like the kind of process of the film set where you, or the, the prep process where you kind of meander through the production office and you lean, you know, you kind of step into a, the production designer's door and you listen to a conversation, you ask a question sort of off the cuff and then you walk over to the set decorator and you, you throw an idea out and then you can kind of listen to what's happening with the, with the first AD and you can wander in and look at the schedule and see what's happening. And there's like this kind of, puzzle that you start to put together and pro that process of, of development. And then of course, like the, all the time with the director where you, you you know, like you sit on the couch in the director's office and you're throwing ideas out and you're going out to dinner at night and talking about the movie. And, you know, it's like all of that stuff and, and not having as much access to that is, is a little bit difficult and challenging in a way. Like it does not quite as like, I hate that word organic, but you don't have like the ideas don't develop and flow in the same way. You know, you have these very formal Zoom calls where everyone talks about what they want to do and it's, you know, everything is recorded and, and notated and you can't have these kind of quiet hallway conversations about ideas you want to, you, you want to, um, you want to explore it. You know, it's like, it makes it a less safe space, I guess I should say, you know, in a way it's like, it's, there's a formalization that's happened in, in the prep process, which is, um, I think, can be at least for my process a little challenging. And I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because in the early stages when everything is still pretty open and yet to be decided, when you get to see you know suggested locations, they haven't even been picked yet, but you see the direction that they're headed in. And so that starts to make sense to you. And you see wardrobe samples or polls that they put up on their office walls and you start to go, oh, okay, I see how this character is gonna look and what right. this means. And maybe I should do this or this can work for this. And then you see the sets coming together and you kind of, you still get that, but it's in an informal way you know, it, 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 it's not the same thing and you don't get the accidents. And to your point, Eric, you don't get the like eavesdrop and hear kind of things that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on that could have a lot of meaning down the road. Yeah. I, guess. I mean, walking, walking down that hallway with all the, you know, mood boards and, and uh, things from the art department. I mean, you know, you take that stroll down that hallway like at least once a day and like you yeah. said, you know, pop your head into the art director and go, you know, but uh, yeah, and then you were, we're doing like these virtual life scouts right now, you know, uh, all over the world. And it's, it's also kind of scary because, you know, it's just not standing there with a the group and having, you know, you're kind of falling and trying to take in as much information, but it's certainly a, a very different experience of scouting. You know, let's say something in India, when, when, you know, one guy's... In, London, one guy's in LA and then different time zones. And I mean, and then it's just, you know, how you stand there and you, you know, discover things together. And it's inspirational because, uh, you know, you discover it as a group. And, and here you kind of have to, you know, break things down in your own head, in your own mind, and then make notes and then present it next time you get together on a Zoom call. And it just doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have that organic creative flow where things just one thing comes out of 
a little comment that somebody said offhand, and you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's. it's I mean, I'm, I'm I'm preparing commercial right now, and there's so much miscommunication. It seems like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just talking about very simple things that if we would could all just stand there on set and decide how to do it, but you know, and the, the key grips going like I don't know, we keep changing things, and like you know, it's just it's it's definitely a very staccato way of uh, interacting, and and uh, a lot of people are getting very frustrated with that. Another another thing that you miss out on is is you develop like relationships with people. You sit in these vans going from location to location, and it's not always about the movie, but you understand who they are, what makes them tick, what their insecurities are, and and what and what they're going to contribute to this. And then and you build these bonds that you're going to lean on later when you're in the middle of a, a, a you know you're sixty days out of one hundred uh, and twenty, and and now you you don't have an opportunity to develop those relationships and to kind of slowly kind of form a marriage because we've been denied that opportunity and, and zoom as fantastic as it is, it's very straightforward and, and functional. It just does what it's supposed to do. And you don't get any of that banter and, 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 and levity that sometimes comes for, you know, when you can't solve something and, and, and standing there all together and, and figuring out why this doesn't work or what is, what's the next choice or why in the story did it come to this point and that idea then evolves to something else and you kind of miss some of that. I didn't realize how much work I got done in the scout van until I did a, <laughs> a self-drive director scout like we've been you know you scout and there's 15 rental cars and we go location to location and then you get back to the production office you have 200 emails and you like you're out of touch and I had no idea like how I well I didn't appreciate how much how valuable that time is actually. And yeah, like to your point, Jeff, just getting to know somebody. And, and even if you're sick of talking about the movie, you talk about their kids or what's going on at, at home or whatever. And that's, that strengthens the whole process. And balances the set later, you know, there, there's a yeah. lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, management skills that you have to have uh, to run a set, you know, with different people's personalities and different drives and, and ultimately to get to get your will up onto the screen, um, you, you need everyone's helps and, and you do have to manage crews as much as you have to contribute artistically to the, to the project. And the more you know, and the more you're in touch with everybody, then the easier it is to understand why things happen. I think you, you also like, like you, you need empathy for people, you know, it's like the film set is hard and you have to build the empathy, you know, like when think when people are struggling or they have a, have an off day or there's, you know, there's trouble at home or that, you know, you have to be able to connect with them emotionally so that, so that it's not, so that you can understand what's going on with, with somebody so that you can be empathetic to that situation. You're not just so laser focused. I mean, we're always laser focused, but you know, I think having a little bit of depth, with what's going on in the world and with people helps with that, you know, obviously. Definitely. Uh, on the flip side, I don't know. I just came back from a commercial on the road and now I'm, I'm quarantining from, the, from, the, from my family, you know, I'm in a small room, you know, my wife pulled a mattress into the, on the floor into the, so I can kind of keep away from the kids and trying to function around that, trying to function around the family and time everything in between. You know, it's, it's a, that's another knock-on effect that, you know, that's, that, you know, kind of weighs in on, you know, deciding on a job and, and, and you know, on a commercial kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, another factor that COVID has brought to the table because it's it's not just about 
our own experiences about how we, you know, how we affect other people's lives, and, you know, by, by the decisions that we make in terms of what projects we take. Um, but I, I just want to flip, flip the, the conversation a little bit. Um, I, I kind of got asked recently uh, about setting the tone. Uh, you know, what is it? What does it take to set the tone for a project, for a movie, and, and what process do you go through as a cinematographer? And I'm interested, you know, to ask each, each of you individually about different projects. Um, you know, especially with so much different work going on. I mean, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with uh, Eric. It's kind of a question for Eric and and Faden. Uh, Jeff, I'm, you have to forgive me. I'm not sure in terms of your projects whether you've shot you know, any movies that are black and white, but um, obviously Nebraska, uh, Faden, you know, you, you shot that and you chose, I think to shoot that digitally and, um, and Eric now with Mank, you know, you've also chosen to shoot that digitally. It's interesting, I was looking, you know, one of you chose the red and one of you chosen Ari. And, um, uh, and especially like recreating something that's filmic, uh, it's, you know, I'm just intrigued to know what, what drove those choices. Um, and then you come to something like, Jeff, you know, your recent experience, uh, the stories from the loop, you know, you've gone and you shot that on film when it's very heavily uh, special, you know, a lot of heavy special effects. So um, let's, uh, you know, maybe start with, with you, Eric, because, you know, you're right there on the, on the square. I, you know, I, Mank, you know, I, I read, I, well, when David called me and he told me about the movie, I sort of, I was a little naive actually. And I was like, oh, great, black and white. I get to do black and white. And, and, and he sent this, then he sent the script and I read the script and I had the kind of predisposed ideas of what black and white was supposed to be, I think. And it was, you know, it was kind of informed by my, by my childhood and what I identified as being sort of the look of, of a black and white film. And, and, um, and I was attracted to noir, you know, I was, and I think that's, a, it's just, it's like an easy, it's an easy direction. Cinematographers all day, all, everybody wants to shoot noir. I, I think, you know, um, it's seductive in a way. And, and then I read the script and it's like, I'm not really sure it's a noir film actually. Like it's, not really that's not really what the movie is and um but it has references and you know it's kind of complex and I was really nervous about I I immediately was like okay I'm gonna end up I don't want to I I felt like black and white could easily become a parody of itself like it could it, it it could really easily become this like it could draw attention to itself and I was if I was too stylized or too like expressive that it would pull the audience out of the story. And I was really concerned about that. Um, and so what I, I did is I, I, I got like 300 photographs and still frames and, uh, you know, film grabs. And I, I just assembled this whole assembly of, of images uh, without any context. And I sent them to Fincher and I said, hey, um, I responded to all this after I read the script, what do you think? And you know, Jeff knows like you do something like that with David and he immediately writes back. He's like, I like this. I don't like this. This is interesting. Tell me more about that. I hate this. Let's never do this. You know, it's like, it's very, you get very reflexive response, which is fantastic. And, 
then I wrote him back and I was like, well, I, th I think this is kind of interesting for this scene. And I like this and I like the flair in this, but the, re you know, so we were like, and that we kind of filtered the lookbook, so to speak, down in that way. And it, it was really a way for me to understand what he was interested in, like what, what, what spoke to him. And because it, it's, I could see like the spectrum of black and white. Um, you know, it, it, I didn't appreciate at the time how broad that spectrum was actually. I mean, I had seen lots of movies, but I didn't really contextualize it in my head about like the difference between thirties glamor and forties noir. And, you know, it's like, it, the, it's so broad. Um, and, and I just, I felt like, okay, well maybe there's opportunity to sort of draw on a lot of different inspirations from throughout that, that entire spectrum, you know, within, within reason um, when it came to time to make the movie, you know, and, I mean, I called, I think I called you Faden too. We talked about Nebraska and about the DI and like, you know, we talked as well. I mean, it's like, you know, you call people and research and like, I don't know what to do here. Or what should we do? Or this is interesting. Or how did you do that? Or whatever. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was daunting in, in a way. And, and, and also of course, like I felt a little bit like I was on hallowed ground, you know, with Greg Toland and, Citizen Kane and you know you're worried about how the movie would be received and what people would say and knowing that you know people are going to have predetermined ideas of what it should be in their head or whatever you know and it's like so it's I was you know obviously conscious of that um but and and it you know it's, it was like a huge learning experience for me too because I hadn't I shot the whole movie at an 11 and like I I was not used to using that much light on the set um and it was it was really fun and I kind of like in a way I I, I loved it like I, I want to work with that much light more because it was I could be so bold with the choices and it, you know you didn't have to worry about spill on the back wall or like everything falls off differently you can you can apply shape and you know when you have that much light on the set it was it was kind of cool um it was super super new for me you know so it was fun did you uh, attempting but hmm? did you um work off a black and white monitor. Um, so you, yeah. you said a lot before you um, we, started in terms of contrast and... Yeah, we did a, well, it's, it's we shot with a monochrome camera. So, uh, and then we, uh, I had done on, on Mindhunter, the second season of Mindhunter, we had, we monitored in HDR. I had such a miserable time grading the first season in HDR that like, I was like, we got to figure out another way. And, and we ended up, the way we did it the second season is we did uh, HDR on set, which really helped big time. And, and so like, I, I felt like the DI process was so much easier as a result. And like, we felt really confident with the exposures and I knew exactly where everything was. And I was like, I felt really, um, really comfortable with the camera at that point. And, and so we did the same thing on Mank. We did HDR in black and white. Um, which was awesome because I could really like, it could really push the camera. I knew exactly where everything was. And, and um, yeah, it was fun. It was like, it was, it was, but I didn't appreciate actually, I don't know if you had the same experience. I, I didn't, I didn't like talk about tricks. Like I didn't realize how much I relied on color separation for depth. Like mm -hmm. I really, you know, like you really don't pre like, the simple things about composition or like, okay, just cool that light off in the background a little bit and we can warm, warm the face, you know, if you're struggling to like explain depth or, or, or you can't backlight somebody and you need to, you know, like all of those things, it doesn't work in black and white, obviously. So it's like, you have to, you have to create a different 
So, that, and I guess I knew that conceptually, but I didn't appreciate it until I was in that situation and I had to really kind of figure it out. I got really into, uh, you know, lighting off the monitor in Nebraska and I go, wow, I should always do this. Um, even if I'm shooting a black and white, like just have my lighting monitor on set, like set to black and white. And I can always, you know, and get the, the, the separation through lighting and not rely on color separation and then just flick it over and see if it's too much. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was I, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I really loved the process. It, it, you know, it. Larry, Larry Shear told me that the first two weeks of Joker, uh, Todd Phillips turned the color off. And they lit it. They lit it with a black and white monitor. And he said he would sneak over and turn the color back on and check himself, and then turn yeah. it back off. I thought that was really funny. Well, it kind of takes us back to the, the the days when we had the black and white Polaroids for exposure, and you know, we would yeah. always look at them. Yeah. And do my little book with the Polaroid and all the lighting uh, notes and diagrams. It was it was it was yeah. great. But, but yeah, like uh, Nebraska was, uh, you know, same. I mean, I, I read it, obviously not, again, you know, initially excited. I mean, Alexander had told me about Nebraska like a decade prior to that. He goes, I got this little black and white movie. I mean, I kind of knew it's not going to be a noir thing. It's not going to be a stylized thing. And, um, but, um, uh, and I read it and, you know, the inspirations came more from these road movies paper moon and uh you know alice in the cities and you know so and then we you know people always ask well why did you guys shoot like right it goes like it never existed in our mind in color and and actually the studio i mean almost literally had pulled the plug on it when after they said we support you and you can cast whoever you want and we love alexander Payne movies this was paramount after everything prior to that had been fox searchlight and and he goes, well, great, you know, I'm very excited. And by the way, it's going to be black and white. And uh, apparently, you know, there's silence in the room. And, and then I think he got, his agent got a call. And, and they literally pulled the plug on the movie. <laughs> and, and then it slowly came back because Descendants had, was in the theaters and making lots of money. And Clooney got nominated. And, you know, so it kind of came back. It never came back to the number we had. We had 17 million and 50 shoot days. And so it slowly crept up. It came back at 3.5 million. <laughs> and then it, it made its way back up to like 13. And like we had to cut 15 days. But, and I said to Alexander, I go, oh shit. I mean, you know, maybe I should do some tests and, uh, you know, I show you some B sets. He goes, no, but we talked about it should be black and white. He, he was willing to totally walk away from it. It didn't exist as an option. And, <clears throat> you know, it just felt so appropriate to the story. It's about, isolation and loneliness and uh you know the landscapes i mean also it's these wide shots and these small figures and how they dis disconnected and the lack of communication and, and sort of absurdity of this uh the society and it just really felt uh you know 100 percent appropriate but again not like i didn't want to stylize it i wanted to keep it simple and not over lighted and um and we did a lot of things with natural light and, and all that. I mean, I did discover <clears throat> in terms of using color, you know, but going back to my black and white photography days, you know, so I would tell production designer, like, let's paint this garage door red and then I can make it, you know, light gray, dark gray. And, you know, same with the wardrobe. I mean, I realized I, I can do a lot of things with color because my, my color is Skip Kimbo back then in Technicolor. 
he showed me, I think it was through uh, one of these 80s, 90s movies that had a lot of color, you know, and like there was, I forget what movie it was. Um, uh, anyway, the half the face was blue and everything was warm and he put it up and he showed me what he had done, you know, um, and he could flip the key, you know, and I go, oh, wow, that really opens up a lot of things. So I would shoot lights up into the sky just for atmosphere, but like uncorrected, con I mean, uh, HMIs, which created this blue glow. And, you know, it's always hard, like if I had to do it in color, like later it's too much and I have to window it and dial it back out. But like, it was really easy to grab that blue and light up like a sky behind a building, like it's a dawn shot and, and just with that HM because it was blue or I could completely eliminate, it, you know? So it really, it's, uh, it was fun, you know, playing with all those um, tools and stuff. But um, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's. I you know, I was the whole time we were doing it. I was I, I was thinking, I wish we could do every movie like it went from. I know. <laughs> it's definitely nice to see. It's definitely nice to see. Like um, like these days, there seems to be a, you know a shift towards naturalism and you go as small as you can with the lighting and, and available light and and you know just watching Mank, you know seeing you know lots of like hard directional keys and you know like uh it was interesting there was a there was a couple of scenes where it felt like uh, some so much of it felt like original to the times uh especially with the driving scenes you know with, with some some of the the keying that, that you used to you know that felt so period and even the audio felt so period um uh and then you know like you'd find yourself in a big there was, I think there was a, a, a big scene in a room where people were sitting around, like all the, all the famous people at the time were sitting around living a living room. And it was really, really dark and moody. I felt like you couldn't really have got away with that on film, you know, <laughs> you know unless, unless like you're saying, you, I don't know if you shot that at an 11, but- I, there was, I did, there was a lot of light in there. <laughs> yeah. it, looked, it looked great. I mean, uh, just, just, uh, uh, skipping back to you, Jeff, for a second. You know, mm -hmm. like, um, I don't know, you know, with um, uh, Tales from the Loop, whether you, did you shoot the pilot? You know, uh, yeah. I know you did episode, episode yeah, one. Yeah, right? just, just the pilot, yeah. So how, lo how long, you know, how much were you able to set that look? And, and was it your decision to shoot on film or was? We didn't shoot on film. Oh, you didn't? Oh, maybe no, 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 it was digital. Oh, okay. Uh, then the only you really well, didn't I? So um... <laughs> that's okay. The only unique thing we did was, and it's not unique, but the only thing we did out of the ordinary was uh, we used 70, mil 70 millimeter glass, trying to and utilize a monstro sensor uh, as much information as we can, and 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 use depth of field as one of our storytelling tools because our story was about a little girl lost in the world trying to find her mom and the more that that world could be intimidating and frightful to her the better it was for for our for our show so <clears throat> those were some of the choices and it took place up in a lot of exteriors wide ex wide exteriors out in the snow and so those things kind of just let us let it let it let us capture the the landscape but then uh, the, the glass was so beautiful that you could shoot close-ups and, and still have this kind of enough uh, 
texture and 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 you never lost perspective of where you are you kept an actor in a room as opposed to it turning into mush behind them and that that always i i think it's a wonderful way of telling stories because it keeps everybody kind of uh grounded and and you know where you are instead of unless you're trying to mislead or confuse someone so yeah so <laughs> so beautiful that show is so beautiful oh. ah, you're generous thank you it was beautiful uh, i mean i only saw your episode to be honest you know you had a chance to watch as much tv as i'd like um but it, yeah it was stunning uh you know so uh Faden, you know it's funny when uh when i was uh, checking out your films and I remember I came across um, Phenomenon and I remember when I saw Phenomenon, I thought that was one of the most amazing films, beautiful films, you know, and I think it still holds up to this day. I was watching some of it, you know, yesterday and uh, you know, I saw that. I think you, sh hopefully I get this bit of research right. Um, you uh, you shot the Panavision with C-series lenses, I think, set. but um, I'm, I've shot with Panavision C-series lenses, you know, it's not, they're not always very easy to get a hold of, they're always in such high demand. But it just, you know, it's, I think you, from there, everything just felt so timeless and it, and it held up so well. And now with like, I think you did the same with Ford versus Ferrari as well. Um, and it's just, you know, I'm interested to kind of, to kind of hear about the process, you know, when you've got such a, a long span of work that showed such, so many different kinds of projects as well, you know, in terms of setting the look and choices, you know, what's changed and you know, how you approach it. Well, since, uh, since Jeff just mentioned these close-ups that, I mean, I'm in love with these, um, obviously the C-series and um, Ford versus R, we, we expanded them, Kansas Arkies are expanded them so they, they fit their left. And uh, that, that was, you know, turned out very nice. I mean, they were kind of prototypes and was, you know, they were, had some issues and some problems, but, uh, I mean, I agree with Jeff and the way Mangold and I shoot, and even with Alexander. I mean, the close-ups, you know, we try not to isolate the, the character in a close-up and then going closer, physically closer with the camera on, let's say, a 40 anamorphic uh, and, and still feeling the surrounding and, you know, being able to compose and, and sense interaction or reactions of every people, but still have an intimate close-up, you know, um, uh, is, is one of the beauties of, you know, that that glass and uh, the bigger formats and um i did the same thing on trial of the chicago seven i mean i knew i'd be static a lot and close-ups in court but I, I didn't want to isolate them i mean already i got you know 15 people sitting in the same spot every day and um you know really tried to tie them in and, and get the close-ups but always you know be able to rake and then feel the other people present you know phenomenon i think was now that you mention it, I think it was the first anamorphic show I'd done. Uh, uh, and it was C's and E's, but the C's I, I really, you know, loved. Uh, I mean, consciously just C's, I think it was first time I'm Catch Adams in the Million Dollar Hotel. Uh, and then um, I really, you know, uh, try to, I mean, you get them, I mean, Nebraska, of course, and um, try to get them um, whenever I can. Um, and, you know, now they've expanded. I just was talking to Jim Rodebus yesterday. I mean, they've expanded a, a, a large portion of their uh, anamorphics so we can use them on, on larger format cameras. And it's, it's great, yeah. But, um, yeah, love, love, love the, 
love the, 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 that aspect ratio and being able to create close-ups and, and, and also, you know, just not use close-ups as often, but really, um, um, like in Nebraska, I mean, you know, when you do go close-up on Booster and it's really powerful and effective because you're not just constantly using that and then and that really has an impact. So, um, you know, um, yeah. yeah. What a, uh, Jeff, I, ask, I want to ask all of you this question. Um, in terms of, in, yeah, it's kind of tied into to setting the tone and setting your look. These days, if you're going to shoot digitally, how much do you collaborate with DIT, if you have a DIT and a colorist before your movie, during the movie and after the movie? I know some people rely heavily on a DIT and some people don't. And some, uh, some people you know, rely heavily on the colorist. I'm just intrigued to know know what your process well, is. well in, unless you're doing something out of the ordinary or you're using a new new camera system or some kind of something that you haven't experienced before i don't necessarily talk to them prior to it you know i mean you might find out where you're doing your color and talk about your approach and what your intentions are and, and what it's going to be but um that doesn't come into my process and in, 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 in setting tones and look that's all through it's all driven to me by the story and then the conversations with the director, what he has and his vision and then how I can contribute to that. And then what, what alters from that once we could kind of get into that conversation and what best again supports that story. So they, they become crucial once you start shooting, obviously, and you you have your DNT on set and, you know, <clears throat> the funny thing is, and I don't know what you guys did on Mank, Eric, but traditionally with David, there was no DIT on set. You know, we had our two monitors and we did the best that we could and, 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 and kept it fairly close. You know, like the, 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 the rough cuts were not off. And if the things were needed something, you know, the editors were very adept at kind of making nuances for us. So at least things flowed and we find out if we had any problems or not. And, uh, and then we, we, tend to, we tend to always finish in the same place with the same colorist. And so that's a relationship and an understanding. And then you, you sit down and talk to them and they start viewing it dailies and you start deciding about what it wants to be and where it can go and how to get to certain levels or what you want to achieve. And so that's my process. Yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, we didn't have a DIT. We, we, did, we did build some LUTs before we started and um, we built, we, we built, well, there are a couple ones, like there's an, a day for night sequence in the movie that I did a lot of testing for. And um, we, we built those lots with the colorist um, and, and we did a lot of tests, you know, so it was sort of like workflow tests and, and it was testing the camera. I wasn't, you know, trying to figure out where the, what ASA to rate it at and how much noise to deal with. And, you know, what, what did we, what, how much noise were we comfortable with? How far could we push the camera? Cause I knew I was, I was, I needed the camera as fast as possible. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of done it, I guess I've done it both ways now. I, I just, the, the movie I'm on now, we, we have kind of an aggressive look and, and I, and Dan, Dan built some lenses for me on, on this film. Um, we're shooting spherical, but it's, uh, but we're, they're kind of aggressively tuned and, um, and then, but I did it with the, with the colorist. So we took the lenses and then we put a lot of like a lot of spherical aberration in them. 
and then we went to the colorist and we stepped on it preemptively like because i could because it you know it lifts all the shadows because i i knew that i was i was going to be using a lot of backlight so it was sort of it's a kind of a look well i hope we'll see i don't know i'll let you guys know if, it, if i'm successful it's like it's way outside my comfort zone but uh but so that I, I went, I, uh, Ian at light iron, Jeff is helping with, mm -hmm. with this one. And, and I brought, so I brought, I shot some tests and then I brought them to him and then we, we built some LUTs based on the tests. And then I shot another set of tests with those LUTs and sort and then we tested the, and I, I quite, I, I'm not going to use a DIT on the movie, but I quite liked that process actually of like kind of discovery and like, it, okay like with relation to the optics and the, and the grade. And so it's sort of like testing a film stock, I guess, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, it, for this particular job, that, that seemed like a, an interesting way to go. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I, it's kind of a new thing for me, but we're going to try it. So the lens, got, but the lens thing is super interesting. I think what's happening on lenses like now. Can I go back? Of course, when you shoot tests, we take it to, and the DIT comes and we get, we, we figure out what, what LUTs we're going to use for the show, but that, that comes by a byproduct of what we've already decided and how to get there. So, you know, again, it like you're doing, you're pushing something, you're trying something different. So it was, you know, it was necessary for you to go that route. It, it totally. Yeah. If it was, I, I was definitely outside of what I was comfortable doing before yeah for sure yeah I, I, I worked i mean we, we try and do a bit of live grading on set with the dit because i mean it depends on the director but like with mangold he's very specific about the saturation and the contrast and then you know it's very important that actually what we what we have decided the look of the movie is and then it, it actually happens in the dit tent because i i try not to isolate myself in it so i actually set up a combo tent where I'm sitting with the director and my DIT and, you know, so the, the, the chain of communication doesn't break down completely. Um, but, you know, then, of course, I find him always looking at our monitors and, uh, you know, always like since he has Lonnie right there, he's like talking to them. It's like, why, well, you know, it can't. And then so we do a lot, a lot of tweaking, but I do find it kind of important because then when we make and create our dailies, um, you know, they really are supposed to be carbon copies of what we set on uh, set. And then and that's very important because, uh, you know, then of course the editor lives with it and the, the director lives with it for months and months. So we go and we check the monitors in the editing room and, uh, you know, because what will happen, of course, if something is warm and, you know, but it wasn't intended to be that warm and they live with it for three months and then you take it out in the DI and of course uh, you go, it goes, that doesn't look the way, you know, it looked all the time. It, looks cool and i'm like yeah because it was too warm you know we didn't want it like remember we didn't want it warm <laughs> uh but then you know it's just it's too light and it happens to the best of us i mean i i uh, you know so it's very important that you know they live during the post period with with a look that you know we we desired and what the intent was on the set and I mean, I remember talking to Janusz and he would always get up at five in the morning and go to Technicolor and retime all the, 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 the dailies. And I'm like, why do you do that? Like, it's, it's just very good because, you know, Steven's going to see it and is going to, you know, for that exact reason, he's going to like the blue and then he's going to live with it. And then later I can't think, you know, so he would go and retime all the dailies every morning before call. And then it seemed like 
excessive, but you know, I mean, if, if, if people like Spielberg who are very knowledgeable technically and I mean, it's happened to me too, you know, you just get used to something, uh, you know, after months of looking at it and previews and, and then that's it really sort of can limit, you know, getting back to what the initial intent was. So, you know, it's, it's I, I like, I like messing with it on the set, you know, and then we, we also pull irises, you know, I pull a lot of irises and it becomes a really little communication center, but I think it's important to keep the director involved and not, you know, it's, I really fear the, the idea of being my tent and the director in his tent. And, you know, so we're always either butted right up. We can take up the dividing wall and it can be a bit distracting having this director there, but it's, it's, it's worth it. You know, it's, it's, I think it's really bad if, uh, you know, we end up being isolated and, uh, you know, we don't hear everything he's saying. I mean, Alexander Payne, we don't have any. It's like, I mean, we we, we don't even have a tent. I mean, it's exactly. an onboard monitor and he's on the... And, you know, when we were doing film on Sideways and all that, I mean, he would stand next to camera, pull up an Apple box, sit next to the lens. And I tell a lot of directors that that's really the way to do it. <laughs> um, you know, they all, like, agree to it in theory, but then... They just, you know, become so focused on this monitor and they say, oh, I didn't miss that. I'm like, yes, sit right here. Then you can see it, you know, and, you can, and you know, but the whole trust we had with our operators back then, I mean, you know, nobody was monitoring anything. And the director would look over to an operator after the take and give him a thumbs up or he could go like, you know, let's do another one. I mean, but you didn't have to scrutinize the composition on everything and uh you know i mean it's like okay it's a master like you have to stare at it all though like look at your actors look at this you know so i mean i think it's it's nice when and with alexander we have that it's like the camera operator you know which i typically operate on his movie uh the focus puller the boom guy and the actors and the director and that's like your little intimate triangle it doesn't matter how big the movie is that's where it happens and that's uh, you know all it takes, but I, I I know because Fincher invited me in one day and he was actually talking about Reds and with Alexander and we both were there and he showed us you know how he's moving the frame around and he's like recomposing and you know he goes I you know I eliminate all human error I can like constantly like you know and this and I roll over I I roll over I don't like to track anymore I roll over cables and uh, you know so he was and. Uh, you know how um, anyway how he, how he how he can control everything and, and you know how he doesn't like carts and he showed me these airplane carts because i hate crew gear i hate when they have crew jackets and like i'm sure you've heard it all but uh yeah lived it and and, and and alexander and i you know this time it, you know we walk out back to our cars you know he's talking to us for two hours and uh this i guess it was before in a glass band and and then Alexander didn't really say much. And then as we're walking back to our cars, he turns to me and goes, but I like human error. <laughs> I like when the operator <laughs> overshoots something and has to tilt back up a little bit right. to correct, you know, so very, very different, you know, obviously every director, very, very, very different uh, approach. And for us, you know, uh, different ways of working and adjusting, but, but that's the beauty of it too. You know? I think some of that like, gets... like you were saying earlier, Jeff, um, some directors go, you know, I mean, I literally had guys, 
I mean, I also worked with Gore Vabinsky, who's like Fincher and their friends. Yeah. So he's yeah. very similar. Yeah. Like, I mean, he draws everything. So I gave him a little cocktail yeah. and, you know, Sonnenfeld and, you know, but little, you know, and they're very similar. But, you know, I've had guys go, you do your thing, whatever you do with the lenses and the light. And I couldn't get them once to look through that, you know, this in the film days, look through eyepiece. I couldn't look. And, you know, and, and with the blocking and, I mean, and recently, just recently, I had one literally just go, you know, but read the pages and then he turned to me and he's like, you're good, you got it. And I'm, yeah, and I call the script supervisor over, dictate the whole shop later. So, you know, but that's, it's, it's fun because, um, you know, every, every, every film is different and every, that's why it's nice to work with different directors, you know, but um, yeah. Yeah. Can I say something? Yeah, I was. I, I, um, I was going to say uh, two things. I mean, Im imagine back in the day talking about trust. I mean, I, first I was going to say the thing about the monitoring and digital world that we're all living in now is, is of course, it's safer. And of course, you have, uh, you have better rest at night. You don't have to worry if you can show up the next day or don't call the lab at four in the morning to make sure there was an image, <laughs> you know, that you, you can show your face. Uh, but there was something so magical about seeing something projected and the victory of it being more beautiful than you actually thought it was going to be. Now, of course, sometimes it may not have worked out, but I think for all of us sitting right here, it usually worked out pretty well. And, and, it, and there was always something that you didn't expect, you know, something that caught your eye that was like, that wasn't going to do that, but it did. And it's so beautiful. And I was going to add to that, like talking about the trust of the crew. My dad used to tell stories about, uh, you know, like on Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, he operated for Conrad, but those were rack over cameras. It wasn't even reflex, right? You, you weren't, it's, it's not that no one saw it. The operator didn't see it either. <laughs> you know, you, so uh, imagine that, like and, and yeah. as, as the parallax, like as someone came close to you, the, the, the finders were geared so that you would end up, if you were doing a close-up, if you split the actor's face down the middle, you knew you had him in the middle. If you cut off half his face. So there was a lot of blind trust there. <laughs> that's that's why they didn't wrap sets for several days after that because uh, it wasn't yeah. the screening that anybody knew what you captured that day, let alone if it was soft because no one was looking at the image. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah. different craftsmanship. I mean, the focus pulling, you know. Focus pulling. I mean, uh, how many? I mean, going to dailies was always a big thing especially i'm sure with fincher and then with gore and he would you know scrutinize every you know and says, i think it's here i think it's like right right behind it like between us you know i mean it's the first day season i mean it was it was uh, but it was really an experience and then like you said i mean the things came out beautifully and it was also hugely gratifying and you you know watching dailies together as a group and you really had this you know you'd have a glass of wine and they'd order something and you know it's often on location it was like somewhere nearby in the hotel or in a trailer or you know in town you'd go to the screening room and, and you know it took time out you know uh, after i mean it was long days but it was really a special experience to to watch it you know uh, and then you know wardrobe and hair people would show up and it's it's just felt like okay we're you know it really created that uh, and, you know, experience of like looking at what, what you've made and, you know, watching it together and, you know, the nervousness and anxiety, but also the gratification that if it was beautiful, like it's an irreplaceable moment. Now we don't have it anymore. Yeah. You, we log on to, what is it called? You know, and watch Picks. daily 
I don't need that pig. I don't even do it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I look back on it now, and I, I don't I don't know where the time came from. You know, you have a six o'clock call. You shoot for twelve hours. You drive somewhere across town to a screening room. You sit and watch an hour and a half of dailies. Go to dinner. When do you sleep? Yeah, you know, no, I don't know how we did. It. I'm tired. I'm tired now. We don't go to dailies or anything. But, <laughs> we didn't but, sleep uh, much, but it was sort of an extension, a social extension of the day. I mean, and, you know, there was always. I mean, at least with Gore, you know, there was always some good wine there, and you know, and then it was, it was, um, yeah, it was um, a nice way to end the day. I mean, it was, yeah, it, it was really a community, you know, and you, you all felt like you were doing something together, a common, common goal, and a common success. Hopefully, most of the time, but yeah, because now you have to go back the next day and say to your crew, oh, you know, I saw this some pics last night. I just kind of just scanned through it, but. Right. You know, I don't know, but this 50, let's check it out. It kind of looks a bit milky and stuff. But, you know, then you would sit there and uh, the first AC would be the A camera operator, B camera operator, and they'd all go, you know, and you go, look, B camera is like, and I mean, it's, it's just great. It's like constantly a, a, a feedback on everything and experiencing it together. And like, I don't have to go now and explain to the first AC, you know, I think, you know, the 50 is like the edges are softer. I mean, you know, let's put it up and let's test it at lunch. I mean, we'd always like all experiences right away or a filter we tried or, you know, or a stock that was grainy, like we decided to push after. I mean, you know, all this stuff with the lab, uh, talking to the, I mean, you know, talking to, to the, the daily scum, Mark and Horn, I'm sure you can so, you Every know, morning, every morning. morning and he would send these reports back i mean the craziest notes and things you know and you know but how he's also following the story and taking in the story in his own mm. way without the sound and you know i mean and and, and you know we'd read that i mean it was it's just it was great yeah, yeah laser pointer, laser pointers Sorry, were big ahead. in uh in fincher's world so yeah yeah you watch <laughs> dailies and every time you thought something was perfect he showed you where all the things were that were not yeah. <laughs> so i got my own and i would fight him with this as a lightsaber a light laser exactly you know it's interesting you you know talking about that makes me think of something else i want to ask guys um i'm also conscious of time i don't, I don't want to take up too much more of your time but um you know those days when we used to sit and watch dailies in the theater, you know, it's been, now you think about, you know, because of COVID, uh, there's been a decline. You know, some of the main, at least in the US, some of the major theater chains are closing down. And, um, you know, now they're released, they're talking about releasing movies in the theaters and on, you know, TV or, you know, streaming at the same time. And, you know, it's obviously going to go that way that more and more of the things that we shoot are going to be experienced on the small screen rather than the big screen. And I just wonder, will that change anything in terms of how you might, all of you might approach, you know, storytelling and fil filming something? Because, you know, when you're, when you're seeing something that, first of all, there's the shared experience of seeing something in a movie theater, which, you know, you, you can't really replace, but looking at something on a big screen, you you will notice something a lot more, you know, about the edges of the frame and, and the details that you might miss when you're looking at a, you know, even on a 60 units TV screen, I don't know. So I'm just wondering, should we start thinking about, you know, filming things in perhaps a different way or, you know, 
have you already. So um, I mean, I'll be shooting as long as I'm going to be shooting. I'm I'm going to be shooting for the big screen. You know, at least in my my, my head. Um, I mean, we already joke about it, like, oh, nobody will see it on an iPhone, you know, but, and, you know, my kids, I have 12 year old. I mean, they watch everything on iPad. It's like, I give them the choice. Do you want to go to the movie theater, this and that? And then, you know, sometimes I force them to see something and, you know, longer format and really watch a movie like The Man Who Would Be King and, you know, uh, but it's, 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 they're not even used to it, you know, they've never really... I mean, they've certainly never seen a film projection. And then, but I mean, I'm not going to change my approach. And and I do think, I mean, we talk about this all the time about this thing, you know, the pandemic and Warner Brothers and now Disney and, uh, you know, um, and, you know, of course, during COVID, I mean, a lot of people upgraded their home entertainment. About my, I had myself, you know, I never watched a lot of Netflix and TV. I mean, I just didn't really find the time, but you know, you buy a nice big OLED, you get a good, it's, it's going to be tough to, to get people unused to that and get them back in the theater. But there's certainly films and, you know, certainly the ones I want to work on that are just experienced differently. And, and the, the crowd psychology, I mean, whether it's, you know, I remember watching Aliens in Westwood in a theater with 600, 600 people and the, the mass hysteria that it created. I mean, it was just like, you can't produce that even no matter how great your little sound system is at home and you know so i do i do hope it you know it doesn't get lost for generations because we are all doing what we're doing because of our experiences going you know when i was a kid and i went and saw ben hur and lawrence of arabia and i mean it was a big deal and a big event and you know there was an intermission and i could go get ice cream and i mean you know that's that's what made me love cinema and it was just a Know, something I would look forward to about, you know, oh, got new Kubrick movies like Barry Lyndon. I mean, I remember like, I can't wait to, you know, to go to the theater and see it and, and you know, and, and you know, I, I, I hope that doesn't get lost and, you know, the, the habits of you know, change for society completely. I do feel, I'm hopeful that after, you know, we overcome this and we normalize our social uh uh, rules that you know people will be longing to uh, experience that again in greece we were lucky we have in the summer everything switches to open air theaters you know so that actually it, it, it went on um to carry through but um you know i just hope that people are going to be longing to to get back to that experience and not just forget about it and yeah anyway i, I go ahead sorry jeff go ahead I, I think I think that the, uh, the theatrical releases are the benchmark. That's what we've all grown up to do. And that's the integrity level that we want to bring to it. And I think that can't change. And as you start changing it, two things, you're not doing work, you're, you're compromising your own work. But let's not forget the audience keeps evolving each year. The more technology they have, the more they can stop frame, the more they store, the more you can go online and have 8,000 people write comments about your, your work on something. You need to keep raising the bar in order to satisfy that kind of, uh, you know, however many years ago when, when people were afraid when a train was on the screen because they actually thought it was going to run into them. And now you can literally tell a story sideways and people follow it and will point out the flaws in it uh, and, and will freeze frame it and analyze it with 10 other people and match it to the shot before. So no, I, I, I think regardless of where projection or display uh, ends up, you still got to bring your biggest, best game or, or, or it's just not going to be, it's just not going to live up to your, our standards our standards which is partly why we get hired in the first place yeah for sure 
It looks like we lost Eric somehow. Mm. Hold on. My, phone, my camera died. Oh, <laughs> That That's because be. he's got the fancy cameras, so he looks yeah. good. Yeah, I know. That, he does. He looks great. Here we go. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I I I think I was thinking back about the movies that I love, and and I was asking myself, like, would I would I have been in a position to appreciate those movies if I had a pause button when I was twelve years old? And I don't think I would have. Like, I think like. Would I have would I have had the patience to watch Close Encounters when I was twelve if I had a pause button? I don't think so, you know. And I think, mm. I think that's, I think the captive audience aspect of the cinema, where you can tell an elaborate story that that asks the audience to invest in it, is a real thing. Like it's a really important thing. And if if you just give everybody the opportunity that when their kids when their kids are screaming in the background or, or they have to go to the bathroom or whatever, they just hit pause and they get up or they, they get distracted and they, you know, they're looking at the phone and I'll finish it later. It's, it change, it's, it's a different experience. And it's, I think For great sure. movies may get lost in that, in that a bit, you know, like great also movies. The, the way the stories are told now, I mean, you know, in Godfather, like how long, you know, 40 minutes of this wedding in the beginning and setting up these characters. And I did watch Godfather with my son recently. And, uh, you know, but uh, I know it works. Like if we, we sat down, we didn't pause this and we're not, you know, I mean, he's actually really into, but you know, it's like, we're not going to, take a break. We're not going to do anything else while, you know, at the same time. Right. Uh, if you really need to pee, we'll pause it. But, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, just the way stories unfold, though, these days, it's a, such a different pace and it takes time, you know, it took time to build these characters. A man who would be king also, I mean, it takes forever. But in the end, you know, it, it really applies even to this generation that is used to, like, three minutes for me. I mean, they watch things on the iPad that's typically the, the average length is probably three minutes, you know, that's yeah. like, that's the, the information is just capacity that that's how they take yeah. in them. Uh, you know, but to, to have him, you know, watch Sean Connery and, and, and Michael Caine and like go through this whole arc of their journey. And like, and then in the end, it's very satisfying to me. He really loved the movie and he really liked the Godfather movies. And he really gets a complexity of how every like Fredo and what is his dynamic with, you know, Michael and, you know, but in the movies that they typically see, I mean, they just, it's not allowed for that. You know, I mean, I'm just talking about pacing and how stories are told these days. You know, what studio would like you cut a, a cut a movie like Godfather now, you know, where it just goes on, you know, 25, 30, 40 minutes, like of just introduction. But then you understand all the dynamics of all these characters and then you can really do things with the story. But it's just, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's, 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 it's all very concerning. <laughs> I mean, how many how many households do you think turn off all the lights and have no interference and no phones ringing and a perfectly uh, calibrated monitor to watch uh, <laughs> these fantastic images? Yeah, for sure. I, I, funny enough, I, we have a TV and a, it's not an OLED, and I'm trying to convince my wife to, to buy an OLED because we switch the lights off, and that's an argument itself. She wants the lights on, and I want the lights off. And we're watching a movie and when it gets dark, you know, it's an, LC, an LED's uh, backlit TV. And there's some kind of circus dance where it's, there's not rich blacks and you can see the blacks moving as the scene's moving. And it's so annoying and so distracting. You got to get a different TV. I won't even, I can't even watch things in hotel rooms. I like, mm -hmm. I watched films that were shot yeah. on 
on the film and I know they look good and I look at it and go, oh my God, and this is like how the whole world is watching this movie. Exactly. I mean, it's really- Go get your wife, go get your wife and we'll talk to her about it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I would yeah, too. I mean, the OLEDs are cheaper. <laughs> it's probably, it's probably three OLEDs in Greece and every country house I have where now it's it's like the 55 inch OLED. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a thousand euros. So it's, yeah, it's really come down in price. Yeah, yeah I mean, you should yeah. definitely, <laughs> Matthew, you should definitely uh, upgrade. I mean, I'm still holding on to my plasma. I have this Pioneer Elite plasma. I'm actually watching right Me now. Me too. Mank on it. Uh, it's the screener came today. And I'm, I'm, I'm checking the blacks and all that. But this this thing is beautiful. <laughs> I'm just, I know it's going to die at some point, but at least now I can get an OLED, you know. But I mean, I was holding on to this thing. I would have got it for dailies. Like, eight years ago you know, so. when they weigh 800 pounds <laughs> those plasmas they're so heavy <laughs> yeah but yeah. this one is great that the kuros apparently leak, you know it's really it's really i mean it's, it still looks just incredible you know mm -hmm. uh, but um anyway but that's a problem like if things start looking so good at home you know yeah well, yeah it changes you know how people aren't you know experiencing the way we would want them to experience things at least when in the in the movie theater the cinema we've really got a fighting chance of it you know of our vision kind of holding yeah tr holding true well the group yeah, right, weird. Like, know, we won't lower our standards theater. we're gonna we're gonna not lower our standards for mm. home viewing <laughs> what were you saying eric i said i haven't seen mank in the theater we did the you know we did the the di remote and yeah so the, mo the movies premiered in theaters but i haven't seen it neither has david so that's unbelievable have they done a film print you know that's a really good question i don't know that's a great question uh, uh, I'm curious I know. because i know we made i did everything remote with the stream box uh, on trial of chicago 7 was a nightmare um but I know that they've made prints and I mean, I really saw it for the first time, like it's the final product on when it aired on Netflix. And, uh, and then, but I know that uh, the editor and they, they made, they made a couple of film prints. I, I don't know if they're going to show them. Or, oh, cool. Um, yeah. I actually, I need to find out. I'd like, I should find out. I mean, yeah. so given when it gets printed a film, I wonder if you if you guys will get a chance to have a hand on that. Go time it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I would love to. Yeah. It'll be nice because you'll pay, print, pick up. Did you add grain to it in the DI? We did. Yeah, we did. Actually, if you, you'll notice, there's moments where we did. If anywhere there's a dissolve or an optical, like a title or something, we we added additional grain as if it had gone through the optical printer. Yeah. Yeah. So you see it like from the point of the cut forward through yeah. the transition there's extra grain and there's a little more gate weave and you know it's kind of oh you put some like, kind of winking at people that <laughs> if you put a change over real markings yeah cigarette burns yeah mm -hmm. yeah they're did, in there yeah did i did i hear yeah, or did, I I there's did, like I, did he add like a very low projector noise hum to uh, something i think yeah i think they did he did well you know it's mono the whole movie is mono sound uh-huh there's no oh, stereo yeah yeah there was there was yeah. a there was a funny moment in the movie not a moment where he goes are you familiar with the parable the organ monkey like the, the organ grinders monkey you know and then you know all of a sudden the lighting kind of changes as a big dim down 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, we did a bunch of that. Yeah. That was fun. because well, that's, that's from Citizen Kane. Orson Welles did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, somebody told me it's because he didn't, he, the, the excuse was that he came from the theater and he didn't know anything about an optical dissolve. And I, I, I did some research and that's bullshit. He totally knew what an optical dissolve was. He was just choosing to make a statement. So. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, uh, I can, I can keep on talking, guys. I don't, I don't know, but I, I'm like I said, I'm conscious of your time. Uh, you guys tell me if you if you have to go, or I can keep asking questions. You know, I got a house full of people, as you heard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's two hours. I think that's it's two hours. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Thanks for thanks so much for sharing your time with us today. I mean, it's yeah. so valuable. I know people are going to get so much value out of it, and. Um, uh, I know how busy your schedules are and, and just how tough it was to make this happen. So um, I just want to give a quick shout out to the rest of the Film Roundtable team, Erin uh, Wilde, Doug Torres, and Maria Prieto. And thank you everyone for listening and for your support for this platform and spending the time listening to these artists discuss their crafts and their views. And please um, follow us on Instagram at Film Roundtable, subscribe to our podcast and like and subscribe on YouTube channel and you know, get updates on upcoming talks and we'll, we'll see you all soon. And thanks again, everyone. Stay safe and healthy and keep making great work that we all love to go and see. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Matt. Thank, yeah, you. thank you, Matt. Great to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Good Excellent. luck. Again. And, uh, beautiful, Eric. Beautiful, beautiful master yeah, job. Well. Oh, yeah, thank really you. Well yeah, good luck with the Oscars. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Bye.